Hello, it's Thursday, February the 16th, 2023. Welcome to another decisive podcast series. This is episode number 83. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're doing well. I am Roberto Q. Ingram, DJ, producer, podcaster, founder of the Decisive Podcast Series, the show where we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their very own unique thing. We talk about life, things that inspire us to make the things that we make. And previously on the program, we've had Kareem Elmore, Miles Atmospheric, Move D, John Tejada, Daz IQ, Alex Downey, Anthony Sheikh Shakir, the late LB Bad, XDB, Zoe Massa, Renee Foster, Derek Thompson, Yan Kinchel, the Munich exclusive local talent, and much, much more. I am truly blessed and excited to be back podcasting for this awesome platform to share amazing stories about the world of creativity. Today, I would like to talk about real important topics, the importance of music, life, the struggles we have to overcome to maintain a safe space for real honest artists that work hard to be good at their jobs. What we can do better with the progress we've already have seen in the last 10 years. Why standing together sends a good message, a good example to our youth and for future generations. I'm very curious about some of the difficult tasks we face as creatives to maintain a high level output of quality music and artistic freedom. How important it is to maintain creative growth and progress that makes total sense. The purpose and goal to why we do what we do. I think this makes for a lovely conversation that people need to understand. How the struggle also builds strength and confidence. Since ADE 2022, I have been looking forward to do this podcast with event promoter DJ influencer Natmek to talk about her work her message and the hardcore support she provides for Cork, Ireland's underground dance music scene. Glasgow-born, Essex-bred, and now living in Cork, Natmek is the boss lady of Underground Ovation, the founder of Electronic Music Council, and one-half club residency of Outlawed in Crack Jenny's Cork, a massive promoter of her local scene and positive nightclub culture. Growing up on drum and bass, garage, and electro, Natmeg gives the nod to a variety of influences. Anything fast-paced, a Brita vocal, and a cheeky dub, it goes into the mix. Big into the subcultures of drum and bass and jungle, particularly 160 and footwork. She can be relentless with energy, as she alludes to in our mix for Decisive Podcast Series episode number 83. If you would like to support the show, head on over to my podcast page at podomatic.com forward slash podcast forward slash decisive podcast series. Look forward to your support. And without further ado, and with that said, let's get on with it with the interview with my guest from Cork, Ireland, Natmeg. I am so excited. I met a lovely young lady in Amsterdam. Her original name is what I really, uh, what I know now as of today, Natalie, but known as Nat Mac from Ireland. Now, I've done a lot of podcasts, as you know, and meeting an artist, a representative, a promoter, DJ, producer, 
from Ireland. I have never experienced. <laughs> and I'm happy to do so because I'm uh, the type of uh, podcaster and person that learns from people that I meet. And we have a, we had a good energy, and I really enjoy that. And I want you to all welcome her with wholeheartedly from Ireland after she's taking all my shit today, technical shit, trying to get things happening. <laughs> she's over there in Cork, Ireland. Uh, Natmek, welcome to the Sisa Podcast Series. Thanks so much, Roberto. Thanks for inviting me on. It's great to great to be here. Looking back, let's talk about that. <laughs> we both are interested in this really superstar legend, as far as I am concerned. His name is Kerry Chandler. Yes. And, yes. And we both were in line waiting to hear him speak, which was something I didn't expect. The education that and the the information that we got from him that included mm. every creative and just you just got so much great information from him and um we were talking about where we we're from and I told you what I did you told me what you did and we were in line how long were you how long were we in line oh, I don't know 5 10 minutes I'd say maybe 15 and you were representing a scene uh in Ireland which I never knew Ireland even had a scene. It would be interesting for everyone listening to understand in your own word who exactly is Nat Mac? Yeah, good question. It's a, it's a mixture of a lot of different experiences really. I suppose Nat Mac, well my name's Natalie McCormack. So that does what it says on the tin really. It's a mixture <laughs> of my two names. But um Nat Mac is Promoter, DJ, uh, supporter of the music scene, uh, really just to try and connect people in our scene and, and make shit happen. I've not originally been born in Ireland. I came here as what they would call a blow-in. And I've been here for about 16 years. Um, and I suppose my journey in music, it definitely happened way before that. But my journey in Ireland to support the scene has happened because there has been some challenges to support the music scene in Ireland. We have restrictions, uh, a, a limited capacity to put on events. There is a demise of our club culture. And so there's a lot of illegal activity and there's definitely a thriving music scene that isn't always discovered. So I set up something called Underground Ovation when I noticed there was a need to promote undiscovered, unheard artists, particularly women and different ethnic minorities. And um, I promoted using a podcast. And as I started to get wind with that and everything started to do well, um, I really wanted to try and bring people together. So did quite often guest mixes, pod, more podcasts, um, and I also set up the Electronic Music Council, which was a way of bringing the whole music community together in Cork, in Ireland, which is just one city. It's actually the, the second biggest city in Ireland, and it's only one of many cities, but it's a rebel city. It's got a lot of rebel culture in it where people maybe revolt to, to the norm and you do find that there's a lot of different scenes that are trying to break through. So 
I set up that. So I suppose in a nutshell, um, I'm really just a promoter of the alternative music scene to try and bring it to the forefront and to try and create a better scene so that it's more positive and future thinking and prosperous really because there's a lot of people that have left Ireland to continue their career and that's not something I want to happen because I still want to go out and enjoy this so let's keep it continue so a lot of different attributes in there a lot of different pieces but yeah that's me I suppose in a nutshell tell me something to earn those merits to start something like this to all the topics you brought up uh have you been working a lot in communications or you've worked with a lot of kids or you've worked with a lot of organizations that helps benefit your what is it uh underground ovation or you just it was just you just did it for what you feel uh was needed that's a lot of that's a that's a difficult uh task to complete uh if you don't have the right credentials yeah you know? of course i used to be a music promoter in london when I was going through college. So more on the electric, like the indie electro scene that was really kicking off in London. That was where the students were at. Um, some of the fidget house niche scene that picked up in that time. Uh, so I, I definitely had learned how to promote events, how to create events, how to build a fan base. Right. But when I came to Ireland, I, I noticed, particularly in Cork, that there was a well-established scene, but it was very cliquey. Like people were having their own groups and to try and break into the scene, you kind of had to be known or heard of which I felt wasn't really the right foundations for expression of music. I think it should be, uh, you should be allowed to perform or be who you are if you have something good or want to share something good, not just because you've a ton of followers or you're friends with that person. It should be a little bit more open and there shouldn't be as many boundaries. So that's why I set up Underground Ovation. I saw there was a space where we could promote other minorities that people weren't getting gigs and I set it up myself Our first gig I did in a in a pub um and I put on games and all sorts of things this weird like mad event I put on some idea called playground where people could come and play and it was a bit of an open deck night many of the people who were there maybe it was their first gig outside of a bedroom or a gig that in a, in a main city mm-hmm and and i gave them that space and and it was that that then spurred on more events and then the podcast series so yeah i suppose the only credentials i had was i was a promoter um, and my full-time job i've been a leader and i've been a facilitator and i've definitely connected with a lot of different people in that so i've got that business mind but um i would say the promoter experience and just a pure grit and ingenuity to just get yeah. stuff done yeah, yeah. was where, uh, where it came from really and the passion to want to support others yeah i just so everyone listening understands what we talked about earlier i think it's totally important that we do not hold back the struggles i'm asking you specific questions because i want everyone to understand what it means to actually try to do something like this which is very difficult because there's a lot of variables that has to come in play and a lot of things that 
has to happen. And I don't know if it's just one single person that it's a unifying of different types of people that may have a different point of view than you. I'm glad you were honest about that because what I want everyone to understand as we move forward, it's not about what you don't know or how tough it was, but it's how you succeeded. And I think um, that's really what's important for me in this for the podcast series. So moving on, I wanted to know what was your purpose of moving? Why did you move from England? I know you were influenced musically by England, London. You Big were, time, yeah. Right. And you were Glasgow born, which is a, a huge house music scene, right? In Glasgow, right. Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Essex bred. Why leaving London to go to Cork? Financially, to be honest. Okay. It's a very uh, difficult city to live in London financially. And my family had emigrated to Ireland. So I came here probably not by choice, really. In a way, I had to. I didn't have an opportunity to survive during the recession. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came here. But yeah, London is the mecca of music for me and some of the scenes I, I very much aspire to and, and connect with uh, different types of record labels and artists um, originate from some parts of London or Bristol or in Essex. And I grew up around that. Um, and very was very influenced by that that rave culture, the the garage, the drum and bass, the jungle, you know, it, all of that. It just really was around when I was very very young. And my father as well, he was into some of that, so it's very much influenced me, and it, it still does today. I I play tracks and 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 follow record labels that still bring me back to London. What type of music were you into? Wait, wait, let me ask you this first. Have you had any music experience? Take classes or professional, play an instrument or anything? Yeah, piano, guitar. um, They would be the two instruments I can actually play. Yeah, so I I would say I have that music theory and I, I dabble in production as well, but nothing I'd be comfortable in releasing just yet. I've got thousands of edits that I'm still not happy with, like any producer, right? But uh, one day, once I feel happy with my sound, I think I'll release something. But I, I'm so heavily involved in the community aspect, that seems to take more of my energy. I read I wrote, I read back in your bio that you were into post-punk. That was during the years of uh, the electro and the Le- indie. Electro, yeah, indie. it was, you, you had like all these mad scenes that were trying to break through. Um, and just experimenting, you know, the, the sort of cross blend of genres into electronic music, you know, the use of instruments in electronic music more heavily. Um, it definitely influenced me. It's, it, I think it really influenced me, if I'm honest, because I, at a young age, I really enjoyed hearing so many cuts and edits and things messed up. Mm. It, like, it, it was exciting to hear something a bit different rather mm. than just a single track that you knew what it sounded like. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked the the mess up of tracks and it, it, I play it to this day, like anything that's completely messed up. And people will hear them and they'll think, oh, I know something from that. Some and bit. I like that I can capture someone for a moment where they think, I know that, but I don't know this version, you know? So I think it really did influence me. When your electronic music days, did you play a lot? at all in it. well matter of fact when did you start DJing oh I started when I was about 18 on some terrible cam decks that are like the 
the little Audi version of Dex, if I'm honest. You know, they they were they had you had to it was pretty much playing vinyl on CDs that you could record yourself, you know. It was it was really difficult to play. I had a terrible mixer as well, terrible speakers. Um, and after that, because it wasn't very rewarding, it took a really long time to figure it out. I actually went onto a computer and started messing around with sounds and those edits. Mm-hmm. And it was Mixmeister that I used. It was like this free version I used for, for like a whole year. Every mix I did, it had repetitive sounds of this is the free version of Mixmeister in it. So <laughs> I just was a student and couldn't really afford anything. But I utilized that to really figure out that I really liked messing things up. So I do like to layer things and drop in a, 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 a cappellas and, you know, take things out in and out. So that, um, you know, that move from decks onto the computer was an interesting time. So around about 18 is when I started. Any any DJ influences? Um, at that time? Yeah. Yeah, I would say um, there was this one Goldie? DJ. No, I really, really well. Goldie has always been a big influence, <laughs> massive influence. I used to like um, Scream and Benga. That was actually a oh, time when uh, the dubstep came out. Yeah. You know, I was around in that time, and it was new and exciting. It was a bit weird, and it's it's kind of coming back a bit now. But um, I really enjoyed that time. Um, I also liked the fidget house scene in in London. There was a a guy called Fake Blood, um, and he used to really influence me with his sampling of like weird noises from toys that he would grab and then just put them into music. Mm. It's very interesting. Not only that, I wanted to know, did you have lots of gigs in England or most of your gigs are in Cork? I had a couple here and there, if I'm honest. I was more of a promoter at the time when I was in England. I I tend to go to those events. I was always in nightclubs, always promoting. But I wasn't confident in my sound, if I'm honest. I was... I wasn't sure of what I wanted to play and what I was representing because I was always moving between different sounds. And at the time, I didn't know how to blend them all. You know, I just, it felt like you had to be a certain genre. And and for me, that just didn't really work because I played a lot of different stuff. So it wasn't until I suppose I came to Ireland that I really started to think, actually, now I can blend it. I think I'm going to go put myself out there a bit more. Mm -hmm. So then let's talk more about the promoter aspect of your life what were some of the major struggles in being a promoter is it getting the people to believe in your work or uh, getting the people to the locations or was it the yeah, marketing I think, was I it- think it was getting people to follow follow because that back then it wasn't Instagram it was like MySpace you know and Facebook you had to be at university so not all the crowd was really um, online so you really Flyers had to posters. work hard. Flyers and posters and... Flyers, posters, clipboards, signing up emails, in a queue, selling T-shirts. Literally, I did it all. I would do the after parties as well. I'd organise after parties and invite certain people along mm. to try and create and build that network, create the community.
community because you'd have acts come and play and then you'd need to carry on the party but in a way that was like more of a business event if that makes sense so you'd have to be completely switched on you'd have to be the cool person that got everybody connected but at the same time make sure no one smashed the tv you know so like you had to do loads of stuff or smash the bar so you had to always like make sure that you were switched on and, and sorting that out. But yeah, it was hard. It was hard to build that community. Now, yeah, it's still hard, but you have free advertising with social media and you can get a wider audience because of that. So back then you really had to graft. Like I had to show up hours before the events, meet the tour managers, meet the acts, meet the staff in the venue, suss out the venue, where are the spots where people would hang, where are people going outside, where's the party afterwards, what merchandise do I have, have the flyers been given out, you know, all of that, street teams, all of that stuff. So yeah, I really had to be switched on and that was, I was 17 to 21 when I did that. <laughs> the best time to do it, right? <laughs> the best time I mean, to do it, but also the time when you want to drink alcohol and <laughs> you're a bit boozy, so. You know what I mean? That's where you get the most energy and the most uh, probably inspiration and, and motivation to, you know, to to uh, promote to the world to see you know so yeah I remember the I remember the days I definitely remember the days uh, with my also my promotional uh, uh, days uh, with Inspiration Network um, also you taking some of those skills from London promoting skills to Cork mm-hmm. how were you accepted and um, what was your what was the first thing that you think you had to achieve um you know i think with any city that you move to you always have to make sure that you understand and respect the current scene you have to see what is out there you can't just come in and go boom this is my event this is everybody come to it right you have to really get to grips with what the scene is so i did definitely spend like a year or two uh looking at what was out there i also went to a ton of events who was running events i was checking out different venues different spaces and i was you could see me there like it's not a big city you know and i I'm I'm someone who doesn't look I suppose I've got the big curly hair, you know, like you'd recognize me if I showed up, right? (laughs) For sure. So, yeah, so I started to build a bit more of a network and, you know, I was was connecting with the right people. I had a few friends that were were DJing already when I moved here. So I started to connect with that. And that's when I realized I could see there was a gap. There was these same scenes doing the same thing and I'm like what about this pool of people here that I'm hearing about that are not getting the gigs you know and that's I suppose the important part as like any scene that you get into is understand what's there and for me it was also understanding what also could be there right you know like what else can we bring to the table like what's fresh what's new let's keep it moving mm-hmm. let's keep the city moving mm-hmm. it's it's alive mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so yeah, so getting connected, going to events, understanding it first was number one. And <laughs> when you decided or when you when did you know that it was the right time to add this new missing uh, piece of the puzzle of that scene? When did you know there was the right time to do it? Did you have to consult with the people that were already doing what they were doing? Did you think, okay? I did. I did actually. Yeah, I asked a few heads around that have been on the scene for a long time and said, look, there's a young pool of people here that are not getting represented. Um, 
And if I'm honest, like when I started to set it up, there were definitely a few people that perhaps wasn't as supportive, you know, because in a way, you know, you do find that whenever a new event comes or, um, you know, a new group or a new promoter, you know, people can be like, well, you could take our audience or, you know, what are you doing that's different to us? You know, there's always a little bit of that. But um, most of them are really supportive and actually came to some of my events and supported some of the events. Um, and it, and that was really purely to the fact that I was coming from a good space. Like I wasn't doing it for money. I was doing it for the love of music and for supporting others on their their journey into the music environment. Right. That was really why I was doing it. I wanted to promote and start their journey into into the music scene. Really. Is that why they accepted you? Because you weren't doing it for money. <laughs> Uh, possibly. Start, I mean, when things started start. to do well, there were a few people that started to drop off. And it's something that I've definitely noticed in the UK and Ireland, more so in Ireland, if I'm honest. When somebody starts to do very well, you do find that there are a few people that start to drop off in terms of support. Um, and I don't know, I've tried to understand it in a way, but I think <laughs> that... It can happen anywhere. Mm. You know, people perhaps don't feel as um, connected to that person anymore and wonder why they're not in the same seat, perhaps, you know, and and in such a small country, um, you know, people wonder why they don't get the opportunities. But it's a lot of hard work involved. And it, doesn't, it, it, it is. That's, that's, that was... doesn't just come naturally. You have to work hard. That was what... I think uh, also we're building towards to I want to know what hard work you've done to get to where you need to be and how much more work it is to be done. So let me move on. Um, now, tell me a little bit more about the cork uh, scene, the nightlife scene. And is it a special, interesting environment between what, what you have to work with now? From, from when you got there until now, has it gotten better? I would say it's got harder. harder. I, I wow. actually say it's got harder since I've been living here. Um, we've lost nightclubs and spaces mm -hmm. and the licensing laws to acquire a space for a nighttime establishment are hard. You know, you have to, you have to jump through quite a lot of hoops. Mm. Um, we initially had probably one of the most famous nightclubs in Ireland. Um, it'll be 20 years ago uh, in June that it closed its doors. It was called Sir Henry's. And it's it's so world known. Like we had Laurent Garnier and Carl Cox and some of the biggest DJs of their time performing in there. In fact, Kerry Chandler says it's one of his favorite places he ever played. Cork is one, he even did an interview not that long ago that Cork is one of his favorite spaces to play because there was such an affiliation to Sir Henry's, to house music, to, to just having a good time. Mm. And once that closed, there was a few places that opened, but gradually places have had to close down because there just isn't the financial stability to keep them open. They're not open for very long mm -hmm. and they have difficulties with insurance, difficulties with the licensing laws. So I think uh, there's actually a, a, a statistic um, 
like uh, in 2000 we had like over 400 nightclubs mm -hmm. and in 2022 we have 85 in Ireland so it just shows you how difficult things have become in this this country so Having said that, though, I don't think we should give in. And that's why I've done what I've done. Like, I think that, you know, just because things are closing down, because there are uphill battles, doesn't necessarily mean you have to give in to an art form. You know, no. Like, it's it's important to reconnect the community, educate and push things forward. So that's another reason why Underground Ovation got set up. And it's now a reason why the Electronic Music Council, which is the other um, piece that I, I work on, it has has been created. Don't Times are tough, but we feel that they are going to get better. And in fact, this year is the year I think they're going to get better. Mm, sorry to interrupt you, but I really want to talk about that, this electronic music organization you're talking about, because I remember you spoke to me about you guys were protesting and fighting against the city, trying to get the clubs to stay open longer. Yep. They shut at half past two, three in Dublin, but at half past two in the morning is when you're only allowed to play till for a nighttime establishment, which is just ridiculous, really. Um, <coughs> most nightclubs will open at about 10 or 11, you know, so... Wow. That's 12-1-2, like, you know, that's three and a half hours that you've got to try and make your money. And if you're trying to fly a DJ over from, a, from like, the UK, from, you know, Germany, anywhere, you know, the costs involved and the money you have to make back in order for you to get that, it's just, just the margin's very minimal. And even on the so, local level, it's... <laughs> Even on the local level, it's, it's absurd. But unfortunately, that's the culture and how it's been for a very long time. So it's almost as if people feel that that is how it should be. You should go to bed at half past two and, and that's it. Over. Game over. Whereas we both know that that's not how the nighttime is now. We've very much moved away from having to go to bed at night. But the pandemic, unfortunately, instilled that even more and like literally ingrained it in where you just had to finish and I'm, no I'm, fun. I'm thinking minimal 4 a.m. is is minimal. Even if you're at home watching Netflix, <laughs> you know, or something, <clears throat> you're not going That's to it. do it. Yeah. On the weekend. It's mad. Like when I was living in London, I wouldn't go out until 12 o'clock at night. Whereas in Ireland, you have to go out eight, nine o'clock in, in order you have a nice evening. So it, it it's very different. But we we have an amazing cause called Give Us the Night, who are pushing to make changes. And in fact, there has been a new law that's currently being worked on where we should be able to be open till 6 a.m. Um, hopefully it gets passed officially this year. Uh, there has been talks that it will get passed, but there's a lot of things to be ironed out because it's not just the opening hours. It's to do with public transport. Is there safety? You know, what what facilities do we have to allow for that time period of people to be out on the streets? Do you have a good feeling about the change, that there will be change? Do you think, how does the city, I mean, how does the country benefit from staying open till 6 a.m.? I think it's going to take a while, to be honest, to understand that change because it hasn't happened yet. So it's going to take a while. But what sort of benefit do we have? Well, first of all, musically, you can have 
much more diverse artists play for a longer period of time. But you can also have other establishments that can support this. There's other economies there. So, you know, uh, like restaurants, food, cafes, a bit more vibrancy in the evening culture. Um, and of course, people who work in public transport, you know, or people who offer that facility, they'll have much more opportunities to support when things are open for later. Mm-hmm. And what about the other promoters, club owners in the scene? Are they also banding together to... Absolutely. It's be more money, be more opportunity. Mm-hmm. At the moment, people are squeezed into a time slot where you've got to get as much money out of them in that time in order for you to make it back. So that means drinks offers. People are getting really, really drunk in that time because they have a short space of time. Wow. That means, <coughs> you know... That's true. The acts and the that we have available, we can't always get them because we can't afford them. Mm-hmm. No, so it really is stifled and it's affected. Um, and there's a much more opportunity having that freedom because we won't have to drink as much. You know, there will be a so much quickly, more mature yeah. culture for it. I think I remember online you were speaking on a panel. Yeah. So um, District 8 Academy, it was a event where they brought all the creatives together you could buy tickets or you could come along it was an event where they had a variety of different speakers to talk about the electronic music scene in ireland and beyond so some of the people that were there were for instance uh, working in now high ibiza and some of the biggest nightclubs in ibiza but they're originally from ireland we had some people who had record labels there were nightclub and club owners but um, there were a lot of different people that were there and district 8 originally was a nightclub in dublin um, that was in the tivoli theater and the tivoli theater was a listed building that got knocked down to build a hotel it's a regular issue that happens in dublin that hotels get built in exchange for some art spaces which is just terrible it happens it's happened far too often so district 8 um they did create a space or, or utilize a space outside the dublin city center and as i was saying to you um kerry chandler made his track in district 8 one of those tracks that we were at that talk wow. uh, talking about so it was a very very important space it was like our version of printworks london like it was a very it was <laughs> okay. you know it was our version of that wow. I, it really was i mean okay the light display and the size is a little bit different but it very much was that so anyway district 18 up with the elevator program they created this a collaborative space for people to come together and it was the first electronic uh, dance music collaboration event and I was there to talk to Ewan McVicker who's a Scottish DJ and producer and uh, we asked him about all the things that he's been up to and uh, really got some questions from producers in the audience to find out what struggles he had mm-hmm. and what he, mm-hmm. uh, how he achieved mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. and it was a really great honeypot really of creatives getting together to really think about the future in Ireland mm-hmm. now how can we make that change give us the night we're there as well the the community um, collaborative organization to promote more positive night culture um, so yeah it was really good it was really good and that's what I was there for 
Let's talk about your um, electronic music council again. Mm. Um, your goal is to primar- primarily um, give, if, if I'm not correct, women a chance. Or is that the... Uh, Oh, that no, the that's one? not. Um, that's the that's underground, underground ovation. That's the underground <laughs> ovation. Okay, the underground ovation. Let's talk about that first. Yeah. Um, how successful have you been with uh, getting women and underprivileged, if that's the right word, um, um, young people or women to get involved and to help them uh, to um, get heard and to get involved in DJing? What are yeah, you guys I, doing? Yeah, I suppose I find DJing and just the whole music scene in Ireland in electronic music, it is quite male dominated. You do find that there are women involved and they're like if I was to take it right back to maybe three or four years ago, I actually run an event called a fundraiser, which was a female only event for breast cancer. And I just had all the girls on it, promoted the right things to do to pr- support yourself. And it was a really fun event. We called it a fundraiser. We raised money for breast cancer. And it was really nice to get all the women together. And we all stayed in contact and we regularly support one another through whatever avenues that we go through. But as time's gone on, I've noticed that it's a regular challenge that women either feel like they can't get themselves into the scene or they're intimidated or they have some trouble when they are in the scene. And I wanted to make sure that we try and shift that a little bit. I teamed up with a very influential DJ in Ireland. She's probably our biggest female electronic music artist, Yasmin Gardizi. She's from Tralee in Ireland, and we've been connected for a very long time. I've always been a big promoter of her. And we connected with each other to try and support more women on the scene, in particular in our city, in Cork. So we created a workshop. um, Women from drove up to three hours away to attend Mm -hmm. and we created that safe space to ask questions and inspire women to become DJs or elevate their craft and from that workshop there's been some real success I have an event starting on the 8th of March it's for International Women's Day I have three of the girls I've been training to be DJs having their first gig and I also have um, one of the girls who was in the workshop she just recently run her first event and I, I gave her that event to run it herself and she run a female only event and it's sold out and just the pictures the, the videos the energy was electric it's called Dollhouse so yeah it's been a success it really has i think the most successful piece to it is is building that community and letting people feel safe to try things out and not be afraid Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. make mistakes Mm -hmm. and just be who they want to be and knowing that they have that community to support them too we're talking about when you say the word people what i just heard and what I want to um, understand 
is that I understand why women think that it's important that they have this platform for themselves. I also think that we should be teaching other people, whether men, women, whatever you are into, because this seems to be an, an isolation. As we were talking earlier, I was just think that there's so many of these different now isolated parties and events that we're separating people as a whole. I am worried that this gets us into a fighting position. I think that women deserve a chance and I think they but it's tough. No matter where you you have to get you have to grow some tough shoe put on some tough shoes and go out there and fight because no one's going to give you nothing. I don't care if you're a woman, I don't care if you're a man, I don't care and especially in our scene, especially in the music industry. If you're good, you deserve a spot. If you work hard, you deserve a spot. If you are talented, you deserve a spot. If you prove that the people like you because of your skill, I think everyone deserves that chance. Now, what are the women saying that is challenges that they're going through? Because I think it's so important and I think it's sad that they have to feel not accepted. And I think we've come, we've come such a long way and it's getting better. And I want to talk about things that we can be better at and how we can how women can know that not everyone feels like it's tough for me too as a black guy but but nothing will stop my my determination to do what it is I love you know what I'm saying at some point whatever you are struggling with if you keep pushing you know and you're pushing in the right direction and you're working hard you get you get what you want if you really want something you get one what you want and and uh, i have to say i'm so happy for our scene that we've come a long way and it's, i'm so happy that people like you and people like you know even for the gay scene for the you know for the uh, underprivileged i mean i've been seeing it on all the platforms you know mm -hmm. now where do we where do we all come together and say, okay, we've come a long way. I do agree with you that we need to make sure that we find a way to, to get on so that everybody's included. There are times, though, that that understanding of inclusion is still neglected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I particularly see it with women. Like, mm -hmm. I hear, I heard so many stories in one of my workshops where girls would get their first gig and mm -hmm. guys would literally be showing them what to do on the decks and they'd oh. be like I'm trying I'm trying to do it myself why do you feel that you need to show me and they'd get embarrassed to call it out because they'd been asked to play um, or guys would say oh you're alright for a girl you know or uh, let me do it or oh you messed up there or, or what are you wearing and like there's just there's like so many um so many comments that affect their confidence in wanting to push through and, and keep at it okay. so i suppose when i run these <coughs> events it's not to to promote women over men it's more to promote them and give them confidence that they can do what they're doing and it is okay to make mistakes and there is a safe space that you can put yourself in. So a lot of what I do is not about promoting that person, it's more about promoting them and their confidence so that I can lift them and elevate them in their craft 
so that when they do get asked to play these events when it is a bit more varied that they have that confidence to go I got this thanks so and thanks for the invite thank you for bringing me here I really appreciate that so that's really my angle you know I'm there to create that safe space I'm there to give them that confidence I'm there to give them their first gig I'm there to elevate them so that they then do what they need to do Thank you for that answer because um, I knew it already and I knew what that meant. But I wanted to, in case someone has seeing it from another view, that you've answered that question and those what they're going through. Because I have done, I'm guilty of this because I'm a gentleman. I'm just a gentleman and I offer my help because I offer my help from my heart. And it has nothing to do with her being a woman. And it has nothing with her being... Uh, it's it's showing camaraderie as a DJ. You understand me? And there's been plenty of times that I've walked up to the desk and there was something not in the place where I thought it was and I had to ask so-and-so. So to me, I think that's part of the... That's part of the game. It's part of the... It's, this is part of the challenge of being a DJ. You know, is... Knowing that and hopefully that someone is trying to assist from the from the heart. And look, not every incident as yeah. well is is yeah. as bad as it seems. It's not if someone's bad. offering to help, then quite often it does come from a good space, I'm sure. Yeah. But there are definitely times where it doesn't. And if you've been hired or asked to play as an artist and then <laughs> someone comes up and shows you what to do, yeah. it can really be a bad experience. So I think it's just the method in which we um, ask people maybe okay. how, how if they want help. Yeah, that's true. But also at the same time, giving the person the confidence to say yes or no mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's been a success. How how is it going with this? Yeah, good. I'm going to run another couple of workshops where I invite like different females around Ireland just to open up the space for more girls to come in and feel comfortable to ask questions and see like that they could also do it too you know like yeah. there are girls that aren't confident in their abilities so I want them to know that that's normal and that that's not just a female thing it's for everybody we all have imposter syndrome occasionally you know so like <laughs> wanting to create <laughs> you know you taught yeah. me imposter syndrome okay <laughs> all, right. Yeah, all right it's an actual thing you know where you think you're you know you're not supposed to be there and you can't do this it's that voice in the back of your head it happens to everybody it's not just a female it does, thing it does it does it, it happened to me too yeah no we're gonna have a few more events um i've invited some other girls to come along i've got an artist who is uh who plays vinyl and and that is a, a different avenue for some girls mm -hmm. so want to give like just different variety mm -hmm. opportunity to connect um but you know i i do lessons i run workshops not just for females i do it for everybody but i did do a focus on females for a little while just to make sure that we try and balance some of the lineups mm -hmm. sometimes you don't see a girl at all mm -hmm. on the lineup yeah so it's nice to just get at least one or two just to kind of show that there's an opportunity there to mm -hmm. to like balance it out a little bit well i tell you one thing i can i can honestly say i'm very happy to see that there has been some progress we just have to get on with the music get to the music and the talent that's it that to me is more important than all of it the music and the talent if you Same. got the talent if you worked your ass off to get where you are you get what you get and you deserve it 
So absolutely, uh, and and that's what I see. If I have a, a gig or an event that I need to put someone in, or I get asked by um, a club owner, do I have someone I would recommend? I'd always put forward the ones that have the talent, that have the inspiration, that have the passion. I don't like just pick anybody. It's really important that you have to show that. But I also think that you know that journey that people are on. If I can create a space to help people discover their talent, then that's also a rewarding piece as well. Agreed. So, Agreed. I like doing both. Agreed. <laughs> Let's go back to your your DJ skills. Where you stand now musically as a DJ? It's a good question. If I'm honest, I'm I'm finding that I'm gravitating towards um, footwork. Um, hardcore, jungle, breaks, like, and everything in between. Uh, drum and bass is is definitely in there, but I just I'm meandering in between lots of different sounds. Um, like for instance, like I I played a gig on Friday, and it was a drum and bass night. They'd asked me to come play, um, and they gave me a peak slot. And all night, I just felt the night was all drum and bass and there was no change. And I was enjoying it, but that wouldn't be me. I'm a little bit all, I go, I'll take you on a journey, you know. So I just played what I was feeling and I was looking at the crowd and I could see the energy was picking up and I threw a few more breaks in. I brought it back down to some old school jungle from like 30 years ago. Um, and then I brought it back up again and the the place was on fire like it just lifted the roof blew off <laughs> and I didn't know what I was playing in fact I met a guy yesterday who served me coffee who said he was at the gig and he said can you tell me how do you know what tracks to play and I said I look at you <laughs> I decide based on the energy he said it was absolutely electric he said you blew the place off and I think that it so come back to your question where am I at it really depends Roberto it really depends like sometimes I could be more like reggae jungle like kind of taking it stripped back a bit more chill I could then be like actually no I need a little bit more Britain in there I need UK vibes I need UKG I need a bit of garage you know it really depends on my audience who I'm with and how I'm feeling. I can definitely be affected by my emotions. And if I'm angry, you're going to get it. <laughs> how do you organize your changes? Is it playlists? Is it certain genres? Yeah, is it so I, I do. I do. I have, I, I suppose I have, I first of all, like if I'm playing a particular night, who am I playing for? What's their sound? I'll definitely make sure I have something that is familiar to that sound. I'll have some stuff in my back pocket for that. I have my my folder of my absolute bangers. I know if I lay down, the place is going to go off. I have my interlude folders, which, because I'm very high energy, I always make sure I find a space where you can actually breathe. Because if I just play solid, you're going to pass out. And the DJ after me or the place is going to be like, what is going on? I can't survive. So I have a lot of different folders. And then, yeah, I'm, I like pick up on some of the stuff I play. And if I see people really going for it, I'm like, OK, I'll play a bit more. And then I might look at the crowd. What age group have I got? You know, is there people from the UK there? Is it more like country vibe? Like what? what, what is it? Urban? Is it what? You know, so I'm trying to figure out what is the sun out? Is it nighttime? All that kind of stuff. I, I want to know what a country vibe <laughs> 
<laughs> well, like sometimes, you know, if you go back in the country in Ireland, you tend to find they like more experimental sounds. So the side trance sounds, you know, like the more drum and bass sounds like that. Whereas if you go into the more cities, they like more clean cut information. So you don't always find that that sits as well. So it, it depends where you are and what they're into. Okay, so that's the, what I'm looking for. <laughs> so, so the truth is, you have to know where you're playing and who you are playing for. Yeah, so you turn up early, you check them out beforehand, you make sure you're connecting with the crowd, you go to some of their events. Um, but also, likewise, people get me. They get me because they know my sound. I know They know that I, I, I play jungle. They know that I play breaks. They know that I'm high energy. So they're like, we want you because we want that, right? So, you know, so it, it can work both ways. Okay, so this is pretty much all over Ireland and not necessarily only in Cork, right? Mm. Okay. Yeah, so okay, I, play, I play in Dublin, but I've, pl I've played in other places too. I've played in Amsterdam, I've played in Toronto, I've played London, Manchester, Austria, like I've played lots of different places. Okay, I want to know what footwork is. Footwork is a chopped up version. It's It originates from Chicago, actually. Um, and it's more... In, I suppose, in the house side of things, but it it's leans into the bassier version of that. So you do find that the beats can be quite fast and uh, choppy. So there isn't too many crescendos, but there's a lot of like almost like um like a, a heartbeat. There's a lot of a heartbeat okay. feel to it. Is there any positive? message you could pass on to an artist um, to uh, yeah to build their confidence a little I don't know you're probably somewhere around 25 years old or something <laughs> but <laughs> you're very flattering <laughs> yeah don't give in don't give up I think that that's probably the biggest message I can say is, is it gets hard and sometimes you'll mess up and it will feel like the end of the world. But these are all learning experiences and it's a positive experience because it lets you know something more about yourself, what you like, what you don't like, what you do and what you can't do. And there's an opportunity. So don't give in and don't give up because I've been doing this for 20 years now and I haven't given up and I still enjoy what I do and I still love promoting the people that I meet, all the different people, the different walks of life, the different spaces, the different feelings. And I would say just never, ever give in. Keep going. Mm -hmm. It will happen. Okay, Raw Vision. Tell me about Raw Vision. Yeah, Raw Vision was initially, it started on a pirate radio station. So I used to be on pirate radio, which was basically in a container, um, in a yard, and the aerial for the radio was miles away, so you never got caught. But it was illegal activity, but you got to play whatever you wanted. So people were tuned in in their cars around the city, listening to the tunes that they wanted, you know? So I would play real underground stuff, like stuff that had just been released, that or like my friends had just made themselves, given them some airtime. 
And I realised when I did this show, uh, as you can tell, I'm, I like to talk and I was great at interviewing people and getting people on the show. And I got people to come on and do a little mix. So I turned it into a podcast and we went three seasons with that. And it was called Hotbox initially, but somebody else owned that name and I got in trouble. And he said, you're going to have to change it. So we changed it to the Raw Vision Mix Show. And the whole point of Raw Vision, the word vision being that it was recorded on a camera. So every single show was available to watch um, both on um, YouTube and also on Facebook. Now, as time's gone on, they've been, some of them have been removed because the tracks that were used, which were always either undiscovered or unknown tracks, have now become known. So it gets taken down, which is unfortunate, right? But initially it was first part of the show was me I would play tracks that had been sent to me by artists in Ireland or overseas that I knew um, I would tailor it to the artist that was doing the mix afterwards I'd always make sure it was connected to their sound I'd do an interview in between from me and them get to know the artist what are they going to play who they are what are they doing where can you catch them and then they'd do their mix and because it was live you would then get me on the mic occasionally shouting people out who were messaging in or asking about what was happening on the show. So that was the Raw Vision Mix show. It went really, really well. And during the pandemic, I tried something a little bit different where I tried to promote businesses as well who were struggling during the pandemic. So my friend who run a detailing business, clearing out um, cars and cleaning cars, I did a garage set in his garage. So it was tailored to the sound and then uh, just did a few others like in nightclubs that had closed down, um, promoted something in there, all that kind of stuff. So that was the Raw Vision Mix show. And to be honest, it's paused for now because it takes a lot of time. It, yeah, now you know what I'm talking <laughs> Video trying. editing, That's interviews, it. music, the whole caboodle. That's, so. it. That's exactly what Decisive is all about. Um, I do it when I can and how I can, and but I try to be as consistent as possible. Um, and uh, I com com uh, commend you on all the hard work that you've done. And I want to know what are the ingredients of the decisive mix? Decisive mix. Oh yeah. What are the ingredients? Me. Yes, ma'am. What you you told me that you were selecting artists in your local area, or, or isn't that what you said? You were getting promos from these different people, or this? Yeah. Is that what you yeah. told me? Okay. Yeah, so what are what you're asking me is what are the ingredients to success of that podcast? Yeah, that's one too is what was your vision? What does people expect to hear in this? So my vision was to promote the artist. Number one, uh, promote the producers. If there were events on, promote events. And also if I was filming it in a particular location, to promote the space so it was a promotive podcast of a variety of different angles depending on where i was and what it was 
So it could be a new artist. Like I had one artist once I could see she was she was 17 and she was really kicking off. And I says, I want you on my podcast. You're doing really well. And she came down, she played on my podcast. She brought a record with her that she liked to play, that she gave out as a competition. You know, we did like uh, building that community of that live audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and she uh, she played her set. And she's played on Hall Berlin uh, twice mm-hmm. yep. now. Okay. And she's 17. She's, uh, she'd be 19 19. now, 19, 20. (laughs) That's the best time to start. (laughs) Yeah. Fresh fresh and wet behind the ears. It's really, that's really the best time to start. You're open. You just, you're just going for it. it. Yeah. It's just a, it's a, it's a, uh uh-huh. And um, how long is it? The mix is in one hour, I think, right? Yeah, they're normally one hour. There's a couple that are a little bit longer, but most of them are an hour, yeah. Okay, let's talk about the shout-outs. Who you want to shout-out to over there? Who are the game? Who's your, who are your supporters? Who help you? Who's on your side? Well, first of all, I, I definitely want to give a shout-out to all of the crew in the Electronic Music Council. Yeah, it's uh, an important part of what I do right now. And it's not just me. There's five others. There's six of us in total. So Dara, who you met at that talk, um, is one of the members. Uh, James, uh, Hannah, Miko and and Mike. These people, including myself, are the core members of the Electronic Music Council. And it started in November 2021. I have to get the, the years right. It, mm-hmm. It's hard to remember with the pandemic sometimes, isn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Um, but in uh, November 2021, mm. what was happening in Ireland was we had just reopened in around about October, November. So festivals were coming back with restrictions. There was a curfew in the evening and we were allowed to do events. And then just leading up to December, there was talk that we were going to close again. Ireland, out of all of the European uh, countries, had been the longest country to close its doors to nighttime establishments. So we had really suffered. And I'd had enough, Roberto. I'd had enough. And I was in my city and I was thinking, why is no one doing anything? What's happening? What 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 are we actually doing? Are we waiting for the government to decide? I'm like, I'm not having this. So I chose a, like a semi-outdoor location. I said, look, if you care about our music scene, our electronic music scene, I want you to be here at this time. We're going to figure it out. And I literally organized this day. Everybody came that I knew. I invited club owners, DJs, producers, security staff, anybody who was part of that scene. And we sat and the variety of different tables that were there. The establishment let us sit there. He said, you can have it open for a while. And I I just was figuring it out. And we started to decide, like, what can we do as a community so we can figure out what spaces we can use outside? And we started to figure out what places could we use to perform? What is the health concerns of the pandemic? What can we do as an artist right now? So we started to get everything together. We called ourselves In Unison first, which didn't work out because if you look at In Unison on Google, you end up coming up with choirs. And that's not what we were. We were not a choir. So um, the name changed swiftly after a few months to uh, the Electronic Music Council. 
because we realised we were a community of people, of creatives that were getting together to discuss and, and counsel ourselves through what we could do as a community in our city. So we did that and we mapped out locations. We worked with the biggest night in Ireland called Culture Night to emphasise that we are part of, of our culture and that we have an electronic music community. It's the first ever event to work on Culture Night in the nighttime for electronic music. And we worked with a gallery and the whole point of it was to collaborate. So we collaborated with a gallery. We had DJs performing in the gallery. We even got sponsorship with some some uh, drinks. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what we're at at the moment. We're a combination of promoting positive, sustainable night culture. So given the education and the understanding about what electronic music is and how it's not just about drugs and alcohol and raving, there's an art form to it. And also the collaboration piece. How can we connect people together so that we can benefit each other and push ourselves forward? Like this gallery and ourselves, like how can we benefit the gallery and how can we benefit ourselves? So, um, and we've been really lucky because we are now officially a business as of last month. We're officially a limited by guarantee business. And we also got our first ever funding application approved last week. And we now are going to put that into workshops to again emphasize the education and the collaboration piece. How can we help our electronic music scene push forward so that we can help it survive? So yeah, that's the Electronic Music Council. And the members of those councils again, who you want to shout out to? Who who are the members and the game uh, the game changers and the players, the hardcore players with you? Yeah, so um, Daraville, uh, James Walsh, Hannah Felvey, and we have Miko and Mike as well involved, and me, Nat Mac. So I'm the founder, but um, I'm not the chair. I've actually stepped down. I'm a vice chair because we rotate it so that there's always fresh eyes. So Dara was the chair when you met us, um, and now it's James. We have a secretary, someone who works in finance. We have social media. We all have our own little positions of what we do. Amazing. That's that's kind of cool. Now, tell me about your events. We were discussing the hardships of your promotion and, and your events. And if you want to share a little bit about that, that'd be nice. The the events for the Electronic Music Council. Yeah. You said you had you organized some events and unfortunately some locations closed. <sighs> Oh, my own events. Yeah. So the, the Electronic Music Council have organized their own events to promote and fundraise for the council. And what we did was we would promote a new artists on the scene and some established artists. So they were just general events where they were promoting Cork's electronic music scene. But my own events, I did have a residency or did do, don't know what where it's at <laughs> at the minute. <laughs> right. um, I had, uh, I, I basically run... A residency called Outlawed, which is a, a, a wide spectrum of bass. So it's anything from breakbeat to jungle and footwork and duke and, and all in between drum and bass, garage, UKG, all of that. And it was doing really well. We pretty much sold out all of our five shows and um, I run it with my compadre, James Walsh, who's also now the chair of the Electronic Music Council. 
and we have been doing really well um but unfortunately um our latest event got cancelled very close to the event because of complications with the venue which was really 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 hard mm. because yeah, you just yeah you, you lose a lot of money you know when it's so yeah. close to the event you put in a lot of time and effort with promotion and posters and hotels flights everything and when it's so close and you can't find another space because there isn't any in Ireland there's limited spaces it makes it very difficult to continue the event you have to reschedule it but you've still lost a ton of money of all of the things that you've you've done the promo for or the you know the flights and all of that so yeah it's disappointing yeah. and but that's part of the events industry isn't it this this can happen to anybody how do you stay strong in the moments like this your team help um, you, how, how does your team help you stay well i Same. I suppose, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, when you have a feeling that things like this could happen, you, you mm. try your best to change it. So okay. I did actually try and change it before okay. it happened because I had a feeling. Okay. But uh, we, the timing just wasn't quick enough. Mm. The, the, the space that we were trying to change it to just it wouldn't have worked out feasibly. But um, so you do your best to make things work and you try and figure out the problem but realistically it can be really hard and and mentally challenging wow. when you put so much passion time effort energy resources into it for it to then disappear and the promotion It's, the promotion went out as well or did or, or did All the wow. promotion, oh, posters, boy. flyers, competition, whole shebang. Oh, it's nerve-wracking. Oh, boy. Mm. It, it didn't, mm. I hope it didn't um, detour you from um, doing other events. And I hope that your support system understands what it is you're going through and they all still support you. Well, yeah, they do. In fact, there was another night on the same night as us and they contacted both of us and said, would you please play at our event? Because your event is one of the most exciting events in the city and we can't have you not play. So it was really nice to be invited onto their event and, and play. And, and a lot of our fans a lot came to that event and it felt great to be there. It was a completely different vibe, completely different crowd, but it was good to see some of our regulars come out and see us and still relive the moment that might have happened that didn't, you know? So, mm. yeah, it's it's um, it's disappointing. But look, this is part of the events industry. Stuff happens like that. Venues okay. suddenly have to close, you know? Um, licenses get lost. People run out of money, insurance issues. Mm get covid don't show up you know flights get cancelled wow. it's just part of the events okay. industry isn't it okay well what uh anything coming up anything else you got planned you hope to achieve uh before uh, we close out the uh, podcast um yeah so we've got quite a few events coming up for outlawed but it will depend on where they're being held okay. so 
We have a lot of bookings for the future. So I suppose just keep connected on the Outlawed Instagram page. Mm. Follow NatMac DJ Instagram, um, Electronic Music Council Instagram, all of those and Underground Ovation. Uh, they'll be the best places to keep an eye on that. And I hope that in the summer should be able to do a much bigger event of workshops to celebrate Cork. Um, not just for now, but also the nostalgia. Because in June, it will be 20 years that Sir Henry's, the really important nightclub, closed. So I have reached out to many of the the people that were part of that scene. And we're going to run an event to, to remember that. Um, so that's that's going to be a fairly big and exciting event, I think, in the summer. Okay, well, good luck with everything. And thank you so much for your honesty and your straightforwardness. And I'm sure the struggles will give you strength. And we should do this again. And if you care to have any of your up-and-coming artists on the program, just let me know. And I root for you guys, man. This is part of the hard work that uh, we all should be doing if you really love it. And those of you women out there that are going through what you're going through, I'm sorry that you're going through this, but have the faith and the confidence to know that if you're good at what you do and you do what you do, you des- you get what you deserve in the end. So, And don't let no one tell you that you can't do something. And it's that's entirely up to you, not up to anyone else. It's up to you. And for one, for whatever door that closes, another one opens. You know, this is how life is, and it's going to be tough. It's tough for me. It's tough for everyone that is uh, trying to do something creative. In the world of creativity, it's very tough. But you have to be persistent and consistent. Without that, yeah, of course you're going to have, um, you're going to be uh, not confident about what's what's going on. But have faith in yourself. This is more important than anything. And keep a keep a safe shield between you and your heart and whatever is going on outside of that. Because that is where your strength lies within you. With that said, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was great to chat. Thank you for being here. It's a great pleasure to have you. 
thanks to my guest, Natmeg, for her wonderful mix. Until next month, we'll talk to you then. Make sure you support us here at Decisive Podcast Series. You can do so by going to our podcast page at podomatic.com forward slash podcast forward slash Decisive Podcast Series. There you get all the stuff, you know. Pass the word. Have a great weekend, day or night. Peace.